0: And my oh, passion is, is to rid this great nation of America of soccer. Taking
1: aim at America's recent soccer craze, I'm never America's going to rest. Favorite Never going to tire of trying to show the rest soccer. of my fellow now, citizens that this asking, quote, is a waste
0: of
2: our NBA time, of energy, Everyone and just resources runs up and down the
1: field, and every once so in Schultz Schultz a while, accidentally goes in. You should also suggest the popularity of soccer here in the U.S. is due, due in part to the influx of immigrants saying, quote, bomb, I promise you, one no American whose great grandfather was born, was was born, born here is watching soccer, shutting us You're not getting on
0: everybody's grandfather and other
3: unnecessary violence until they're. There is no
0: soccer being played in this country, and so I can drive past a local park on a weekend
4: morning and not see a single person playing soccer. I have a dream. I will not wrap. I got, up, Until I got I see trouble, nothing but baseball. IP.
3: I just went football, football. again, they went again, like Wimble then I serve. Yeah, that's him again. The sound of they engine is like a bird. You see fireworks, they caught a tie skirt, the bullock. I know how you work, I know just who you are. See, use a use a bitch, you almost probably switched.
0: Hello and welcome to your Lexicks football for this week. This is your host, Gabe Lesra. I'm joined as always by Evan Matear, my man. Um and so, we have a very special guest for this beginning segment of the show. Um, I wanted to, because of our last week's episode where my friend Om Arvind, who is also on the show, hi Om. Um, What's up? <laughs> Where we uh, had this discussion about um, soccer analytics and about the, the the kind of way that the United States is, is, is one of the pioneers in, in this field, it was... Uh, uh, a lot, of, a fair number of people liked it and, and so what we figured is Hey, let's do it again But let's actually get deeper into the subject Not just do 15 minutes So joining us today is uh, Jamin Moore Jamin uh, writes You write um, So feature columns for American Soccer Analysis That's correct uh, So Jamin, thank you so much for joining And uh, you One of the things that we talked about on the show uh, last week Was uh, XPG, which you were part of um, uh, the team that created and, and is, is running that stat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, first off. Uh, yeah, XPG is pretty pretty exciting thing for us. Uh, XPG stands for Expected Possession Goals. We basically just threw the word possession in the middle of expected goals, which I think probably your listeners are pretty familiar with by now. Uh, and people shorthand that with XG. <laughs> so this is XPG, not the same thing. And the way we came about it was I had come to the site and started writing an article uh, about possession um, right around uh, right around uh, April. And at the same time that I wrote that article, uh, another guy joined the site and began writing uh, by the name of, I think it's Chu Hei is how you say it, and uh he is uh, he uh, runs the uh, tactics platform website and he also came in and he did some some work on possessions and we kind of got together and said hey let's start seeing if we can come up with a better way to describe the value of possessions and uh, then we added Elliot McKinley to kind of our little group and uh, as part of you know the broader American soccer analysis team we've kind of focused in on this topic for now for a a bit
0: so just kind of um, that's uh, really interesting um, just kind of draw, like, like kind of pulling back uh, 10,000 feet I'd love to hear a little bit about how how you came into um, doing this type of work uh, and and kind of what you see is as what's going on in this in this space because you know one of the things about this sport is that despite the fact that it's it's watched by more people in the entire world than any other sport uh, it's it's actually pretty far behind the other major sports when it comes to data and analytics. So I'm, I'm interested in, in just to talk a little bit about your background and, and where you see, uh, potential for growth in, in, in this, uh, in this space. Yeah, it's,
1: it's a really, it's a really interesting time, I think, for football, um, uh, and, or soccer, as we say in the States. And <laughs> so, um, what i've seen is that uh, i spent my you know as a kid i think i spent you know hours upon hours upon hours in baseball statistics um baseball has always kind of had a rich history of a sport that's almost been like built for statistics in a way and i just was you know drew drawn right to that game and uh you know i i I would just memorize stats upon stats and (laughs) Coming from from that particular you know time and then uh, where I wasn't in, in my life then and then uh, after I moved to the Bay Area, kind of everything that's transpired here, my my love of soccer, which I played as a teenager, but it was like our warm up sport for basketball because I lived <laughs> in Chicago, Michael Jordan era, and so we were all enamored with basketball, and um, just kind of that that journey of, of kind of you know soccer becoming more than a playground sport to me and being something that I immersed myself in. Uh, It's it's really been interesting to see that that those type of statistics, so to speak, don't really aren't really a featured thing in the world of of football. And and it's just it's something that is much harder to describe because the action is is fluid and constant and doesn't have those types of um, events that are clearly laid out for statistics like other sports are.
0: Right, I mean, soccer is on some level a game about, uh, you know, moving and, and manipulating space, and so it's it's much more of a flowing kind of, uh, almost like a. The way I've tried to describe why it's so hard to come up with some of these things is that soccer is fundamentally a game about space, right, and about right. how players move and 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 exploit differences in space, and that uh, fundamentally is very different from a game like baseball or even. Uh, basketball, where, which is a much smaller court with um, fewer players. And it's also about space on some degree, but it's also there are a lot more things that go into it, including just the qu- quantity and quality of shots, for example. And with soccer, because everything is either – it, the way we kind of talk about it is like there's either way, way, way too much data that is every movement of every player at every time on the pitch, or there's way too little. Like there's, there right. will be games where there are only seven shots
1: correct and not only that these what the statistics that we do have are pretty much on the ball statistics right it focuses in on the things that happen around the ball the players engaged with the ball and so in one game you'll you know you'll see a, a lot of statistics come out about a particular team and in another game because just the way that the game played out you'll see very few statistics and particularly when you try to evaluate defenders and keepers it gets really difficult right. because they don't have the same on-the-ball actions that other positions further up the pitch do.
0: Uh, Evan, I think you had some pretty interesting questions that you put in here. If you want to jump in,
4: yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, so I guess my my first thing, just if we want to if we want to drill down just on XPG, do you want to just start off by explaining kind of what XPG is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So again, we started off with those two articles that, uh, Chihay and I wrote, um, about, um, possessions. And the question was, what value can you give to a possession? Now, we're not at all the first people to do this, but we started to take a look at, um, expected goals and the values and expected goals. And, and we have, a you know, a pretty rich data set now that we've built over a few years in American soccer analysis about expected goals. I believe they've been doing it since uh, since at least 2015 in its current form, its richer form, I would say. And I think they go back to 2011 even with an earlier form. And so we've got a lot of data to work with. And we said, okay, how do we take this historical data and ascribe value to a possession? And the way we, we did that is we We laid out a map. Um, I had done an article on zone 14, and so I suggested, Mm -hmm. hey, let's take a look at the 18 zones of a pitch. And then uh, we came back and came up with nine subzones in each of those. And then we went back into all the archives and tabulated the data uh, from ASA. And again, this is is, uh, MLS data, so in a different league, the values could look a little bit different. But it's probably roughly the same in, in most any league. And uh, we said, okay, what, what were the, the XG values of in these different zones? And then we kind of made a map of, of all these zones. Uh, I think the math works out to 172. Um, and so we had 172 zones. And so our first article on just something we called XPG, expected possession goals, uh, Jehé wrote one, I wrote one, and we uh, kind of you know, came at it from different angles and it was just kind of, uh, hey, what value do you ascribe to a possession? And then we took it to another level. We said, and, uh, uh, you know, b- much of this was we added Elliot into the team. We started having, you know, conversations between the three of us and said, okay, how can we do things like say, hey, how many of these possessions are actually turning into shots and what's the mm-hmm. value of the shots? And then we flipped the the map of the the expected goals map that we created and we flipped it in inverse so now you kind of can do it from a defensive side of things and we started analyzing things like risks and mistakes Mm -hmm. and it all uses this concept of expected goals and the reason to do that is because when events occur as they get closer to the goal right they tend to have higher value. When they're in the middle of the pitch, there's a lot of there's a lot of value in the middle of the pitch, and I think it's one of the things that we're still trying to figure out the right way to do it within XPG. But when you get to the middle of the pitch, the chance that a team is going to score a goal from that particular spot, you know, unless there's you know, Zlatan or somebody, <laughs> so uh, because of that, right? There's not much value to the actions that occur in the center of the pitch in terms of going. Okay, if I advance the ball from from my defensive you know, half, and I get it to the middle, and then I lose the ball there, how valuable is the possession? Right. Most people would say, you know, not very. So we kind of just took that that basic concept. And if I advance it at least toward the 18, and I lose the ball, I still have a chance to win it back in a pretty dangerous spot and be able to do something with it. So you would say the value is much higher because it's closer to the goal. Um, and so that, with those concepts in mind, right? that's how we kind of came up with what we call the four XPG variants, and we just changed the name, so sorry to confuse everyone <laughs> with that. We try to try to make it a little bit more accessible, but basically now we have shot XPG, we have chance XPG, we have risk XPG, and we have mistake XPG. So those are the four, and I think we're looking at maybe adding two more that we have are, are, are talking about right now. We'll see how that goes, but those four right now are basically the four variants of XPG, which... Allow us to describe these possessions from different perspectives. And, this, um, right. This is a so so truly,
0: anyway, truly a brilliant thing that you've done. Just, I, I just want to let, like, as someone, and and um, you know, I'm I'm interested to hear your your what your take is sort of. But as someone who has been following this analytics movement since the very, very beginning of some of these great blogs, like. I I made my I made managing Madrid in 2010, um, and that was just the very very beginning of a, a series of different things that people were doing. I mean Graham MacRae at, at, at We Ain't Got No History was doing uh, pass maps and and and, mm-hmm. and stuff with Tableau, which was incredible. But really, we had nothing. And this is one of the most brilliant innovations I've seen ever in 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 this sport. I, I truly I that. truly find like this is it. I think it could revolutionize the game. Um, Evan, I'm sorry. I think I cut you off.
4: No, yeah, you're good. I I, I guess I'm interested in it because – and I think it is really, really cool – and and I guess when I was thinking about it, I was thinking it sort of takes the classic possession stat, which is is almost mm-hmm. the, it's almost the archetype for the stat that people make fun of, right? Right. Like, on on one side or the other, right. So people who don't like stats they, and commentators do this all the time. They'll throw up a possession stat, and it shows that one side has seventy percent possession. And they'll be like, oh, well, they're not winning because possession's not what the game's about. And like in a sense, they're right. If you take any stat out of context, then it it's going to be misleading. Um, and the possession stats very very easy to take out of context because uh, style of play. If you play a very possession heavy style, you know it's going to drive up your possession, but you might not create chances out of that. That's right. And what I like what I like about XPG is it it's a next step towards giving a qualitative value to the possession that you actually have. What you know that possession you have is it uh, is it helping progress you towards a scoring chance towards an expected goal or, and, and, you know, hopefully in the real world, an actual goal. I guess my, my, my question is, does it still, is is it still subject to some extent to the same critique of the possession stat where it's going to be heavily, it could be heavily affected by style of play. So, you know, for example, a team that does play a, a heavy possession style game, that has a solid midfield and can progress the ball to the final, you know, to the, you know, around the 18 yard box, but they're not good at creating, you know, solid chances in the box. So they pass it around a lot in the final third, but they don't really generate chances, but they might look pretty good on XPG. Or is that not something that would show up a lot?
1: No, you're, you're 100% correct. And so this is why we didn't settle with just the initial XPG. This is why we felt it was important to add things like the risk XPG, Mm -hmm. the shot XPG. So you can now start to talk about, okay, you know, if a team generates 8 XPG per game, what does it actually tell us, right? It just mm-hmm. might tell us that they held on to the ball a lot. And I, you know, I, I live in the Bay Area. We've got a team here, the San Jose Earthquakes. They're very bad this year. <laughs> uh, they just lost 5-1 a couple Oof. weeks ago to Sporting Kansas City, who's the best team in the Western Conference, uh, in my opinion, and also in the table's opinion, and <laughs> they, uh, you know, they lost 5-1. But then, when you tabulated the XPG after the game, and you can actually see the XPG game flow, we've got a Twitter account called uh, Game Flow XPG. If people want to check that out, you'll actually see that the earthquakes had more XPG. Well, the reason for this is quite simple. Um, it was held; the ball was held onto by the earthquakes in the second half because. Sporting Kansas City had a 3-4 goal lead and just chose to pack it in, right? So now all the possession was with the Earthquakes, and they, they scored a goal. But generally speaking, you would say they weren't, they weren't all that dangerous with it because you know, they were working the ball around the 18-yard box, but they didn't have a lot of opportunities inside it. So one of the things that I, I think you would probably find out is if you looked at the shot XPG, you'd probably look at, well, the Earthquakes didn't convert very much of that chance XPG what we used to call positive XPG in our initial articles, into the shot XPG, or what we called successful XPG in the initial articles. And so the conversion of your chances to shots, which is kind of where where we went with these terms, is probably pretty low. Now, if I was the New York Red Bulls, (laughs) I don't hold on to the ball very much. I play very direct, right? And so the Red Bulls don't generate a lot of XPG in, in almost any direction. But what they do uh, is they convert a high amount of shot XPG, Hmm. uh, or chance XPG, sorry, into shot XPG as a percentage. And if you take a look at that, you go, they're one of the better teams in taking the chances that they do have and creating a shot out of it. Hmm. Whereas if you look at a team like the Columbus Crew, they play very much out of the back. And it's uh, Elliot's favorite team, so we spent a lot of time talking about the Crew. (laughs) And... They play out of the back, and so they, they hit the ball around the back until they find a spot to attack forward, and then they attack forward rather quickly. So what you see with them is they actually generate a lot of risk XPG, hmm. but because they don't turn the ball over in the back very often, their mistake XPG associated to that is very low. So we've created these four variants because they will tell us a lot about the style of play. I'm not going to say if you're playing correctly or not. I'm not going to say that you're better than another team or not. But I will be able to say what style you played in a particular game with these variants and then you can say that's good or bad compared to the style that we're trying to play. And I think that's the next level of this is to try to go, okay, well, what is each team trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. with their particular style and how does XPG relate to that and are they accomplishing their goals?
4: One thing that I thought was really cool about kind of the the risk XPG um, is the way it reflects how important uh, pressing and counter pressing has become. Mm, yes. um, you know, it really highlights what has been known for a long time ever since you know the the pressing revolution or you know the increase of pressing has happened, which is the idea that, you know, winning the ball in a dangerous area quickly after losing the ball generates, you know, a lot of high quality chances. And when you look at your map for uh, I guess it would be the risk XG map um, mm-hmm. table, it, it really reflects that, really shows you why, you know, having that high press is so valuable in generating chances.
1: That's right. You can also look at then the mistake XPG that you forced upon the other team. To say, not only did we win the ball in these dangerous areas, but we turned those mistakes into high-value opportunities, and uh, you know, and potentially down to expected goals and and, and, and actual goals. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do think that. And this is—we're just getting off started off on this. We're 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 pretty new. Um, we've we've put the metrics out there, and now we've got a good a lot of good ideas about what we're going to be able to do with them. But we haven't actually published a lot yet in terms of you know, trying to compare one team versus another and things like that. We've done some special stuff, but there's a lot more to do. So people can look forward to uh, us publishing, you know, way more in terms of um, at a team level. And then we're really kind of looking in at the player level and we're asking a lot of questions about the player data, because, you know, if, if I'm a central midfielder and I'm playing in those areas that don't have very much expected goals value, um, how do we, you know, how how do we compare them to other players in, mm-hmm. a, in a metric like XPG? And we're, I think we're still working through some of that. But it is an intention of ours to do this at a team level and a player level.
0: Um, did you want to jump in with anything?
2: Yeah. So I'm I'm glad we had that discussion about about how these stats describe style and and I like to think I'm part of like tactics Twitter and all of that. And mm-hmm. I've noticed that there's a tension. Between you know the tactics, tactical side of the game and the the statistical side of the game, at right. least in the people who you know who who are, are pro one or the other, and a lot, especially a lot of tactics guys, just they just are are, are really kind of aggressive towards a stats guy because they because they believe that it takes away from the nuance of the game, right? And it just doesn't, you just don't see things that the tactic tactics guys do. But what I really like about this statistic is that it like you guys were discussing it 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 describes style so right as a person who comes from the kind of tactics background it it helps you it helps you better describe what a team is doing and it actually actually forces you to look at these stats and provide evidence for your claims because a huge critique of tactics twitter of tactics writers is that we see an event that doesn't happen that often but because it looks really cool we like to extrapolate that and pretend that it's a significant part of the game. But if you meld it with statistics like this, you know, th- they're very similar. They're both tactics guys and stats guys are trying to describe the same thing with these statistics. Mm-hmm. And if you use them, it, it just enhances one or the other. And I think that's that's something we're, you know, as, as a whole, you know, the tactic guys are not, they haven't really understood that yet, but I think this just gets us closer to that. Um, and then I had, I had a more technical question sure. about about the expected possession goals so i so when reading one of your initial articles and i i think you said that in the possession chain mm-hmm. the the total value goes to everyone within the chain but right. for for the mistake right it only That's goes right. to that one person who made a mistake so i think someone who's looking at this especially if they're not that familiar would ask you why would you credit the entire possession to everyone in that chain and not just do it individually like a, like a person who makes the easy pass only gets that like low expected possession value but the person who makes the difficult play or, or the play in the more significant area gets gets a higher value
1: and I would say the person asking the questions asking a, a great question um, mm-hmm. so we are we are trying to work through some of that um, what we were looking at doing and we got away from it but but we're working with Mathi um, Matthias, who within uh, American Soccer Analysis has been responsible for the creation of XPass, and he's helped build our expected goals models, and he's now also taken over our expected goal chain and our expected buildup um, as well. And you can find those on our interactive tables on AmericanSoccerAnalysis.com, and follow at uh, Analysis Evolved for when we update those tables. But um, what? What I was trying to work uh, with the guys on is saying, hey, I I really at some point want to bring this back and be able to use it in a direct comparable to expected buildup or to expected gold chains, which are other metrics um, that uh, that your listeners may be familiar with. Um, And I I would like to be able to draw that correlation. And and one of the things that both expected buildup and expected gold chains do is they credit everyone uh, in the buildup with uh the the expected goals that come at the end so in some way what we're trying to say is hey even if you make the simple pass that unlocks the defense um you may have made a simple back pass but then you drew in the defense right and you were able to now break lines with the next pass that simple pass deserves the same type of credit and we actually gave a video example of the type of pass that bastion swine made in the game that unlocked the defense and allowed, you know, the pass to go forward and, and probably break through three or four players. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you want to give equal credit in that kind of case. That said, we do think that maybe when we start to break this down to the player level, that we need to look at that more carefully and go, you know, can we somehow ascribe value to the events? You know, one of my suggestions was, hey, let's take a look at maybe the next the net XG value between the the, the the start point and the end point of the passes, and who's actually uh, accumulating the most uh, there. There's also other thoughts which are, let's look at the difficulty of passes, which we can see some of that in the the X-Pass model uh, that American Soccer, soccer Analysis has. Um, but that doesn't take into account everything, and so there, these are great philosophical questions that we don't yet have answers to, but trust me when I say we, we talk about them pretty much every day.
2: So just kind of a so moving away from that something that's more general and less technical so an an argument a lot of more traditional fans have against stats in in general are that it makes the sport more boring and that it makes it less enjoyable and and Mm. therefore it's bad for the game even though it might give you a little bit more insight so i personally don't agree with that viewpoint but i can understand why people say that right because spreadsheets and numbers can be kind of daunting especially mm-hmm. for fans who are trying to get into the sport. And I was just wondering what you thought about that whole discussion.
1: Yeah, I, I, as a fan of the sport, uh, I like to just kind of sit back and watch games and not try to overanalyze things as it's going. And then I just kind of take stock every, every 15 minutes, every 30 minutes. of What have I seen in the last 15 or 30 minutes that tells me how a team is, is playing? Or um what the, what it is they're trying to do, uh, so I think there's an easy way to kind of separate yourself and immerse yourself in the game without worrying about oh yeah. that was a high XG chance that they just had there. I don't worry about that. I I worry about kind of being in the moment as I'm watching the game, and then I'll take mm. I'll take a point and kind of reflect and, and analyze. Um, and and you know sometimes that's at halftime, sometimes it's after the game, sometimes it's you know I'll be sitting with my son watching a live game and. You know, we'll just go. Hey, this is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? Hmm. And uh, and then we kind of analyze it in the moment. And then I take a look at the numbers later and say, okay, here's what the numbers actually told us. Does that match up with what we were talking about during the game? Oh, we missed this thing. Hmm. We didn't even notice it. But this player over here, you know, he's he, you know, he had a fantastic game, and somehow it just flew under our radar. Why was that? And ask those yeah. kinds of questions.
0: That's it's, it's exactly. funny, Jamin. That's it's that's exactly. Um... You just described exactly how I watch games as well. It's exactly about st- stand, trying to stand back, be in the moment, watch the game, and then every, you know, I I do probably even less than you, but I like every half an hour, I'll 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 try to see what exactly is happening. You know, what am I seeing? What how how are the teams trying to break each other down? What tactics are they using? Which players are sort of the focal points? That kind of stuff. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead, Om. I cut you off.
2: That's fine. I was just gonna say, and I think. I think, like what you were describing, uh, both of you were describing. I think it it, it stats can enhance the, the the fan experience, right? Because everyone, especially when they start becoming more passionate fans, just watching the game and then you know switching it off or leaving the stadium, that's not enough. Once you become a passionate fan, you want to discuss the game. You want to discuss why things happen. Right. You want to, you want to say this guy's my favorite player. This guy's bad. And we start discussing points. That you know start to become kind of vague. And stats, if you think about it, is just a natural extension of the things we're talking about. So right. uh, uh, when I when I argue with people about expected goals, kind of the way I, I attack it is, as someone who's against it, you know, people will talk about right that team should have won, but they don't. They don't. They can't really explain why. Right? Like you, because right. the scoreline sometimes lies. The team will win one nil, but your team will have thirty shots, and you'll say, "Well, we should have won." And when you ask them why, eventually they'll come to saying something like the quantity and quality of shots that we created is the reason we should have won. And that's exactly what expected goals is. And that's exactly where our stats movement is going. And I think when right. you think about it that way and understand statistics mm-hmm. that way, you realize how it can enhance your fandom.
0: Yeah, it's ultimately I mean, what, what is so wonderful about sports, but so many people like about it is is—is this kind of not just banter, but like the ability to talk to your friends about it. And, you yeah. know, a lot of sports fandom is sitting around with your buddies saying oh man this this player is a bum like I, I don't like him or man this guy's so good and someone's saying oh really I don't like that you know I don't like him as much and like What's what statistics do at a higher level is just inform that discussion, and you can say he's a bum because you know he gives up all of these mistakes that lead to goals, um, and we can show that in uh, and, uh, right, and, like in in using it just in arguments and discussions with your friends is actually a really important and useful thing. Um, additionally, though, I, I think
4: that that's. Uh, I, I just to, just to add on that, I think that's one reason why Americans are are kind of on the cutting edge of soccer analytics is because we're more comfortable with those statistical arguments being a part of what makes sports fun because we've been mm-hmm. doing it with baseball for a century now, right? We've had bat, just basic stats like batting average and and wins and ERA and things like that have been around forever, and we've right. we've been using them forever to argue about baseball. Yeah, that's true. Um, And so it's created a foundation where we understand how that plays into a really enjoyable and very organic fan experience that, you know, people in other countries that don't have that tradition might be less comfortable with. So, Jamin,
0: I wanted to ask you what you thought about why, you know, the United States was sort of and I I think we are here in this country. It's kind of strange because we just sort of uh, are just kind of being birthed into an era of, of players that have the potential to be very strong and people are actually really caring and we, MLS is like a, a successful league that's expanding and all that stuff but why are why are we on the cutting edge of uh, football soccer analytics what's going on why like why haven't hasn't this happened already in in England or Germany
1: I think there's just I, I think you guys hit on it in your previous comments but I also think that you know there's the rich tradition of hey the thing that matters is goals in the back of the net right and you know, that's the common thing you hear when you start talking about these types of things with with a lot of people. And so, you know, there's a little bit of all that. I I think there's something that doesn't get talked about all that much, which is that, you know, we've we've kind of led the world in terms of, you know, the digital revolution and and the computer revolution, the dot-com industry and, and these types of things. And I wouldn't I wouldn't underestimate the value of what those technical skills have brought to this type of conversation. So if I look at the people in, in the American soccer analysis, just as a microcosm uh, of this type of person, right? I see data scientists. I see people involved in, you know, genome research mm-hmm. on the education side. I, I see, uh, very highly skilled people who just happen to really be passionate about the game of soccer. And they go, Hey, I've, you know, I've got this skill. How can I use my skill to enhance my enjoyment yeah. of the sport? And I think that's a lot of what goes on in American soccer analysis today. And and frankly, in a, a lot of, you know, websites and podcasts and analytics, yeah. you know, discussions that happen in the U.S., I think there's just highly skilled, highly technical people that enjoy sports and can see a way to mix the two.
0: Yeah. And that, to me, is is something that's incredibly special about this country. I think the other thing that's on top of that is... And something that I'm amazed by with you guys at ASA is that there's actually uh, a problem, and one of the reasons that I've always felt that there wasn't this this revolution sooner is that there's just people weren't taking the data. People, the the the, the or right. if they Data's were. A big part they were they were hoarding it and not releasing it publicly like part, part of what bill james and 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 the uh baseball uh, analytics revolution showed was that if you make the data open source you can begin to get you know an open to the public you can get these people who are genomics you know experts like people who who use um, um these very complicated equations and and whatnot in their daily lives to just kind of play with it a little bit. And then sometimes you create these incredible things like, uh, uh, you know, any of the different stats at baseball or like what you guys are doing here. And uh, I'm just, I'm interested in your, your, you know, how did you guys get your hands on this type of data? Did someone at ASA literally watch every game and just code in every pass that was made? I mean, where is this data coming from?
1: Yeah, we've uh, I mean, we've have the right, I think, people that we've been talking to to and and doing the right things. And when you're um, you you said the magic words, you said open source. And I was when I was thinking of what makes ASA different from the Optas, from the stats bombs um, and, you know, from from other analytics companies, uh, I kind of view us a little bit. You know, is kind of like the open source version of that from back in the technology side. Um, yeah, we're 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 not we're not people who are. Th- this isn't a business. We're not selling services. Uh, American Soccer Analysis is not. Um, we you know we've been able to uh, get access to some information. Uh, you know, because we're not we're not competing, um, and so we've been able to take that so long as we do it in the right form in the right way we've been able to share that we have our interactive tables where people can can view you know all kinds of advanced statistics um and you know from xg and and uh and uh expected goal change expected buildup, build up and expected assists and and uh, against the actual data and be able to do some things with it so you know we've been we've been fortunate that uh, we've we've been able to to talk to the right people and get access to the right things that allow us to do this, but you know, we're doing it in a non-competitive way and it does allow us to kind of take that step back and, and to kind of look at it because from a a perspective that it's not, we need to,
0: you know, make money. Uh, so so I don't want to. I don't want to keep you too. I don't want to take up too much of your too much more of your time. But I think the the last thing that I really wanted to get to pick your brain on a little bit is, what do you think? I mean, there are two aspects that I think that are are really exciting about um, XPG and a lot of the other stats that ASA is is working on developing. Um, the mm-hmm. first one is that they have the potential to be predictive. That is, um, you can say. Well, we're looking at the data, you know, with this player who's underperforming, and the reason he's underperforming is like he's getting some bad luck, you know, he hasn't, you know, been able, he hasn't gotten the ball in the right positions as much, that kind of stuff, uh, or you can say, well, he's actually his conversion rate from XP, you know, XPG uh, chance or, or to XPG, you know, shot or whatever, uh, is is down. Uh, and I, I find that really exciting. And on top of that, um, I was wondering, what do you see as sort of the the Holy Grail stat? Is there going to be a comprehensive player-level statistic, like, for example, in baseball war, when we're mm-hmm. talking about uh, uh, soccer?
1: Yeah, I mean, the topic of war comes up all, all the time within the uh, the ASA Slack. And we uh, definitely, it's a stat we we think about, you know, how we can get to an equivalent of that. I think what makes soccer unique in some ways is kind of the uh the requirements by position and the fact that then everyone can interpret those positions differently so i i think that the big trick uh which we hit on a little bit earlier was you know how is it a team wants to play and if i know how a team wants to play and then i can say but this and this is the style that you know the players are actually playing at then I can start to go um, do d- different things with that data that may get more toward the predictive side. So uh, I may be able to talk about a player's value relative to other other players. I may be able to uh, talk about uh, what type of person would fit best into my organization, and that that by itself is a predictive, you know, uh, thing that right. you do. You're you're going to go out and spend you know millions of dollars on a player. You want to make sure that they're going to fit into your into your soccer club, and so that that's a tricky thing. So anytime someone goes out and signs a player, whether they know it or not, they're doing predictive analytics that that person's going to fit. Yeah. Um, now, do you want to put data behind that? Do you want to put video behind that? What is it that you want to do? And I, I think that the marriage of data and video is ultimately where it's at. And I'm not saying anything revolutionary with that <laughs> statement, but you know, how do you do that? Like we've got all this all this data. I want to be able to like go to a bubble on the field, which was an event. I want to click it, and I want a little video to pop up and show me what actually happened in that moment. And then I want to be able to do that for um, all the different leagues that I evaluate as a general manager and I'm looking for talent in. and I want to uh, evaluate the style of a player and and uh, you know his perf- his performances right. and then his value um, in the market and try to make sure that I'm making the right acquisitions. And I, I think that that's where this type of data, is heading toward, I, I always look at this going, okay, it's great from a entertainment perspective to, to get people to read and give their opinion and get clicks on a website and all those types of things. But ultimately, how does this turn into something that creates actionable intelligence for, you know, a football organization? Um, if I'm a general manager, what does XPG mean to me? Right. Right. If I'm a coach, what does XPG mean to me? And these other, you know, advanced statistics and what can I what can I do with those in order to make better decisions? And so I think, you know, that's a key area on the predictive side in terms of things like player form and stuff. I've, I've experimented with some stuff, not ready to talk about it quite yet, but <laughs> if someone beats me to it, feel free. Uh, but I, I am interested in trying to go uh, look at player form and start to predict player performance. Yeah. Over a few games, and I've got some ideas around that. That uh, you know, if you stay cool. stay tuned. To American Soccer Analysis. Maybe you'll see something about it in the next few months.
0: Jamin Moore, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Everyone should follow him uh, at James Moore Quakes. I think is your Twitter handle. Also That's right. um, uh, at uh, uh, the American Soccer Analysis. Obviously, you follow them too. I, I, what is their handle, Jim?
1: Yeah, so we got an uh, ad analysis evolved for those guys, and I would uh, plug my my two uh, buddies that have helped me create XPG if I can. Yes, uh, Elliot McKinley, that's at E T McKinley. Uh, he's the one who I don't know if everyone caught it, but he created quite a stir when he put out uh, a unique passing map. We call it the Turtle Butts, and uh, Elliot put that out, uh, and uh, it got posted in our soccer, and it was the hottest thing yeah. in in our, in our soccer for a couple of days, which was pretty cool. Uh, he does some great. Uh, uh stuff with visualizations he's uh, he's an expert in r and does some really really cool stuff there and then there's also uh chu and you can follow him at tactics platform he he also does a lot of work in other leagues like syria and uh, la liga and epl and uh, he puts a lot of graphs out for those awesome so uh, those two guys are definitely worth a follow
0: all right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I hope um, uh, I hope you had a good time. This is a really great conversation and, and keep up the incredible work. I mean, again, just XPG is one of the more brilliant things I've seen in this sport. And I, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to what you have next. So thanks again.
1: Thanks, guys. Great conversation. Appreciate your time today. Right, so
0: you count yeah. To yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Three, two, one. And we're back. Um, That was a great talk with Jamin. I think that, um, I mean, to be honest, guys, I think one of the coolest things about the American Soccer Analytics um, uh, ASA crew is that they remind me so much of those early Bill James, like, uh, 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 money ball guys who th- these stats in America were j- literally created exactly the way he was just talking about for baseball. And they revolutionized that sport. And I, I, I truly believe that we will have a revolution in this sport based on this type of thing. And I, it was just, it's, it's really cool that it's really cool to have him on. And it was really, really fun to talk to him. So that, that, that owned. Um, so, but we're gonna we under still,
4: the stu- under the stupid shit we usually do
0: yeah, yeah. Right, we're gonna go back to being on brand hashtag on brand now um because uh, this show is ultimately both um incredibly serious all the time and um we also talk about some bullshit and I uh, think the main bullshit I wanted to talk about today um, Ramon Calderon ex Madrid president seems to be having a really regular one
2: I yeah i I, I like uh... I think I showed you the tweets, right? Like a couple hours before this podcast, because I just saw him tweet it out. It this guy, former Real Madrid president, has basically had his entire like his his entire presidency overshadowed by Florentino Perez, the current Real Madrid president, who was also president, you know, a decade past. He had a period before Calderon. And so, so Calderon's like entire deal is is twenty four seven. He's trying to consistently devalue, you know, Florentino Perez's time at Real Madrid. Say that, you know, Perez, one of the most brilliant, you know, presidents from the business side of things. Calderon keeps wanting to say that he does all these terrible business deals, et cetera, et cetera. And he just tweeted out some weird stuff where he was trying to defend financial situation under his time, and then he retweeted an article that was attacking Florentino Perez, so a guy who's having a very, very normal one. Yeah, he's
0: gone on like a classic old-school, like, just trying to tweet through it meltdown, uh, including some just absolute incredible shit because today the Real Madrid board voted to approve the construction or you know expansion of the Bernabeu, the stadium um, that has been in the works for years. Uh, and they were gonna finance it um, as you do with corporate real estate um, with with bonds and loans. Um, and Calderon, not happy, not having it. Um, and I think, look, so these are all in Spanish. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna try to roughly translate them, but he is saying some crazy shit. So he quotes, uh, he quotes a, uh, 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 People who were screaming at the Monarch, and, and this is what he says about, I swear to God this is true, he says this about the plan to develop the Baronet Bay a little bit, like adding a couple of things onto the stadium. He says, quote, Freedom dies and the chains live, unquote. They shouted at uh, Fernando VII when he returned to Spain to abolish the Constitution, laugh at the Spaniards, and betray them by becoming the absolute master of the country. I do not know what that reminds me of. (laughs)
4: Six central tyrannus am i right
0: Yeah you are an insane person man He's having a real real regular one He says also today with the approval of an unnecessary mega loan the de facto owner of Real Madrid has now become uh the banks transformed the club into an essay which is uh, 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 a basically a LLC and becomes a real owner but maybe it's for the the best. The farce is finally over, and you will no longer have to give explanation to those who you have always
4: despised. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so, so Madrid took a five hundred million dollar loan. That's right, right? Yes. And yeah. the team's worth, like, the value of the club is – I'm looking at the Forbes list right now, and it's looking like it's valued at, let's see, four thousand millions, And so that's, what, $40 billion yeah. uh, dollars as a as value for the club. So it, calling it a megalone is just stupid. And I think that goes back to, like, the substantive point here of how stupid this whole protest is. This is, like like Gabe said, this is actually, in the grand scheme of things, a pretty minor investment for a club this size. Um you know it, it you know, compared to like Tottenham, which is putting a billion dollars into its new stadium and is worth. I have no idea what Tottenhams worth, to be perfectly honest with you, but it's not forty billion dollars. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but also what their issue is,
0: is Real Madrid using the tool, the normal tools of corporate finance, right? Issuing Mm -hmm. bonds, like the way you raise money to make an investment. And it's not like Real Madrid is raising this money to make an investment in something that won't work. They're raising this money to invest in real property development. Like that's one of the most that's one of the safest investments
4: in the history of the world, buying and developing land. People, people just get really weird about debt and banks and stuff, and they always have. They literally – from the history of banking, people get really weird about debt and <laughs> banks and loans. Um, and there's we can have a lot of conversations about why that is, especially in a European context, why people get really <laughs> weird about debt and banks and loans. Mm, I um, wonder. But – but it, 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 yeah, you're 100% right that that you don't you don't just you don't just open a savings account at Real Madrid and save up 500 million in cash and then use that to uh, do a new capital investment. That's just 100% not how business works. You always take on debt. They're gonna they're gonna get incredibly good rates uh, for the debt they're taking on. You know they're gonna pay pay back single digits in interest, um, and they're gonna make significantly more than that uh, by the time these bonds are paid off.
2: And, it's amazing. And that's, but that's the thing. But that's the thing, though. Right. Like wh- when we're defending it, we're saying it's like it's basic, you know, business logic, essentially. But the, but the fact is, like the general population, at least the Real Madrid fans, just don't know what basic business, business logic is. And it's the role of papers like Marsa, you know, to inform the public in an honest way you know, and logical way about these things. But instead they're capitalizing on that ignorance to get clicks and to have fiery. Yeah, it
4: sells a lot more papers, get a lot more clicks to, 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 um, yeah. So
2: because I remember Gabe, I think it was in previous podcasts, um, talked about how, you know, or I think it was someone else who replied mm, to Gabe yeah. said, Barca used to be one of his favorite papers because it used to be a legitimately good organization that wrote, you know, fact-based, honest reporting. And now it's just, it's just this nonsense and it's just really, it's depressing. And also it's just extremely annoying.
0: Yeah. It, it, and, uh, so I, I mean, there's this morality play that people do with debt and I thought it was just an American thing, but apparently it's also in Europe where it's like, it's immoral to have debt or it's immoral to, you know, take out a loan to pay for something. It's, it's, a. Uh, it really is a, a really strange kind of mentality here. And obviously Calderon is going to say this shit because it's a big controversy at Real Madrid right now and it's engulfing the Paris presidency. Uh, and he loves that. He loves that so much that he took screenshots. Uh, no, sorry. He took a uh, photos of his laptop screen showing a, what appeared <laughs> to be a presentation that he gave to a board of directors at some point uh, regarding... Uh,
2: amortization costs that he fixed. I mean, it was fucking insane. And, and just to emphasize, he took pictures of his laptop with his phone. It wasn't even a fucking screenshot.
0: Yeah. It, he took pictures of his laptop with a phone of a PowerPoint presentation that showed <laughs> how they had improperly <laughs> capitalized the amortization and incorporated the amortization costs of something into, into. and then he, as if this is some sort of big, you know, I he, own, he invented no. amortization.
4: It's ridiculous. So he, he's on the cutting edge of accounting, and so he knows that uh, he knows that you have to amortize uh, the costs. <laughs> it was it, it it is really great. I really encourage everyone yeah. to. He's a very stable accounting genius.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he's doing really great. He's he's being normal and having a normal day, as you do, tweeting about how the the president of a soccer club is the same thing as a is a murderous dictator. <laughs> It's like it's the same basic idea as one does uh, normally. In uh, other normal news, um, I wrote an article about um, how Real Madrid didn't have a women's team,
4: uh, Boy, and people took that very, very normally.
0: Yeah, people had normal reaction to it, and Om had the great
2: idea to disable comments on the on the article. <laughs> oh, it, <laughs> it I really as, as soon as soon as I saw your article go out, I was like, "Bro, well." First, I just disabled it because I was pretty sure you were going to agree with me. And then I messaged you on Twitter. I was like, bro, it's not going to be good. Because I remember writing something similar where I was just reporting how there were vague plans to create like a third division team or something. And at the end, I just said it was embarrassing that we hadn't like done this already. And the comments are really bad. And then the replies to your article on Twitter just kind of proved how it was going to go. I mean, like obviously very, very secure men – you know, who are obviously not sexist at all replying to your article in extremely normal ways.
4: Yeah, well, the I real mean, sexist, the real sexists are the people who want the women's team. Let's be clear.
2: <laughs> it's a reverse sexism is the problem. It's reverse here.
4: sexism <laughs> to want to spend money on a team that they're not going to watch. I mean, that means nobody <laughs> will watch. Okay, dude, you are spending their club's money on this and so you're the sexist. My oh, um, this reminded me of that dude that I think
0: replied to something that you wrote where he was like i'm not sexist but and then he said like this string of horribly sexist things that was amazing
2: that that wasn't that wasn't replied to me i just saw that on twitter it was like something about how women just need to stay out of sports and then in the middle of the entire (laughs) rant he's like i'm not sexist like but these are literally how these people see themselves they don't think they're being sexist at all they're like Women are lesser human beings who cannot play sports. By the way, I'm totally not sexist. Please do not attack me. That is their fucking logic
0: here. It's amazing. I, I mean, what's really pathetic about it is how, like, these guys, I mean, they all end up on R slash incel, right? And, like, that's, that's just sort of the logic is, like, women are both, like, these objects that we need to conquer and also... Uh, fragile and terrible and don't do anything correctly and everything they do is bad and boring. But you know what? Uh, to the R slash the Donald guys that are responding to this this bullshit, women's soccer kind of owns. Uh, and if you don't like it, then you're
4: dumb. <laughs> I'm just going to say yeah, it. I- I think that you know it, 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 what's interesting is I, I think what they were keying in on the most is like some of the language you used, which was 100% correct and I 100% endorse, which is that it's disgraceful that Real Madrid doesn't have a team. That's just true, and they keyed in on that. But you also set other things in the article, right? You made arguments for why Madrid should have a team including the fact that its rivals have a team and it doesn't look good if their rivals are winning these tournaments all, all the time like those are trophies that are going up under you know your rivals colors go you know, to the fact that it's part you know it's a fast growing segment of the sport and if you want to continue <laughs> growing the brand globally you can't ignore half of the globe like there's good practical reasons to think that you should that Real Madrid should have a woman's team and what that's what exposes the fact that they choose to not to just go on the moral you know just push back on the, the moral argument and ignore the practical arguments yeah, i think is really what underscores the sexism because there is no cost to them to them having a to madrid having a woman's right team. there's no cost at all and, they don't have to watch and, it it's cost nothing they just don't want it because they think it would demean the brand
2: and to be clear it's not just real madrid's rivals who have it it's pretty much every other team in la liga it's, it's everyone every, every big team globally i think the only Big, you know, team in Europe that doesn't have it is Manchester United. They I did, know Manchester-
0: and they just started one.
2: OK, so we're literally the only club of any significance at all. And I'm like I'm talking about just like top flight significance that doesn't have a woman's team. So there's no way we can make an argument that it doesn't make business sense. We can't make the argument like that you know we we can't do it because no one else is doing it the reason it's going first of all is because interest is expanding i know yeah. if there's a real madrid women's team i'm going to watch every single game and but i think i think the thing here is is that people are saying right like i'm not sexist but i'm just not interested like here's the thing if you're not interested it's fine you're not You're not obligated to be interested in any sport whatsoever. And I get it. Like if you've already followed five sports, like you follow tennis, you follow American football, you're following like two different teams in in, in, in European soccer and you're following an MLS team as well. To you, you're just not going to be able to find the time. But then why does it bother you so much that other people enjoy? Just let other people enjoy things. You don't – no one is obligating you to enjoy this. No,
4: it's 100 percent. 100 percent right. just like like, like, –
2: that
4: other people enjoy it it's yeah so like i'm an or- orlando city fan and they've got a you know a ve- you know fairly you know well and in, they've invested a lot in the orlando city pride um and i don't really watch much of the pride and it's mostly it's not the you know I'm, I'm glad they have the team but i don't watch it because i don't have you know i have a limited amount of bandwidth right and it's all pretty much taken up um it, but i all had the same same time you're 100 right that like the conclusion from i don't have enough time to watch that is not burn it down Mm -hmm. right and and you know
0: these same arguments like these people probably don't know or watch definitely don't watch but don't know that real madrid has a basketball team that's associated with it and that makes even less fucking sense than a women's soccer (laughs) team right like there's a real madrid basketball team you guys these people these same people are like oh yeah you know it's don't call it a disgrace it's like blah blah you know it's it's their fair fair and correct choice not to not to like expand and then do all this shit it's like yeah but they have a fucking basketball team so what the fuck do you what do you i mean this is a soccer club that owns a (laughs) basketball team yet they don't want to have a women's soccer team it's so fucking stupid
2: and i think and i think another thing to emphasize is right like a lot of people make the arguments that real madrid's just we already we already established that you know, you can't have business reasons to justify but people anyway will go and say Real Madrid's a business, so they don't have any sort of moral obligation. Like, first of all, I don't think, like, the moral obligation is the way to argue because there's so many better ways to go. But if you want to talk about moral obligation... You should, you should acknowledge the fact that Real Madrid openly and boastfully at times says that we're more than a business. We're a club of values. If you look at Steven Mandis's book, like Real Madrid, just they want to shove that in your face, right? We're a club that has class, right. honor, all of this. club that if this is how you want to present yourself, then you can't then – Hide behind the fact that oh we're just a business and and Real Madrid more than any other club besides maybe FC Barcelona is all about how we're all values and shit so if you want to be about values and shit then this isn't this isn't excusable
0: yeah I that exactly that's exactly right and Evan, you're right that they of course, they didn't focus on the fact that the women's World Cup was wildly, widely watched. That it was incredibly fun, and that the that that women's professional soccer is expanding very rapidly, and is uh, a uh, uh, not a money losing proposition for most of the teams. Like the Spanish league, sure, it's behind, but Barcelona and Atletico both have clubs, and they don't lose money on it. So, like, if you want, like this to me, I mean. I really do feel strongly about the moral argument because I really like that Madrid, uh, or I like the idea behind Real Madrid, that that they are a club with Senorio. But I I also, so I feel like there is a strong moral argument, but I also think it's a fucking practical argument. Like, Real Madrid, if they invested a, a fraction of what they invested in the male team, could create the best women's club team in the world. Like it would not actually be that much, like that, that hard to get all of these women from the United States who are so good and like just put them all on this fucking team together.
4: I mean, mm-hmm. for what for what is invested in the women's game, you know, in, in Europe generally, they could make the best team in Europe for the cost of a fringe first team player on the on the men's team. Like that's that's yeah, what it's Lucas vasquez would be about how much they they <laughs> right. They'd, you could need you could to literally trade. You could trade his wages for having the best team in Europe.
2: And, and and that's another thing people don't understand, right? Like these women, these women's players. A lot of them, especially if they're not stars, they're not on Cristiano Ronaldo wages. They're on really really low wages. In arguably being paid a lot less than what their labor, labor is worth. Like so, there's just not a financial argument against this, right? Like. If we and the thing I'm scared about, like if we're planning to make a team, is that if we wait too much longer, is that clubs like Barcelona, clubs like Manchester City, are going to start finding all the really good players? They're going to build up a legacy. They're going to build up a history in the competition, and we'll we'll be playing catch up. Like part of Real Madrid's and stuff is that we've been the best team since like modern history in the 1950s, and if we want to continue that with the women's club. We need to we need to get. In right now and start building a team yeah. because we're gonna be behind everyone else. And it's that's not gonna be fun, right? If you want to create an attractive product to fans who are used to winning, you want to get in now and start buying up all the good players and start being competitive as soon as possible. Exactly. And it's not
4: gonna get cheaper. Like it's not gonna get cheaper right. at all, right? Mm-hmm. In five years, it's gonna be a lot more expensive to do this. Yes. Right now you can it'll be a Lugas
0: Vázquez, but it is only it only takes a little bit to suddenly say Oh, wait, this, this product is worth a huge amount. Then the women yeah, start just, demanding more money as they are worth, like to be paid at least what they're worth. Then suddenly FIFA actually holds a, a World Cup that isn't on artificial turf uh, and, uh, and everything starts to take off. I mean, the, the Women's World Cup is this summer in France. I mean, that is going to be a huge, uh, uh, a huge advertisement for the women's game in Europe and if and the fact that madrid isn't moving to 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 capitalize on that is mm-hmm. is a huge stain and it's a it's also like we talk about paris the businessman but this is a bad decision business biz on the business end like you can get in really cheap now and it will go up almost certainly the value of this stuff will go up and suddenly when it's up higher you're buying high and so you're trying to get into a market that it demands much more of your resources. It's a terrible... I mean, it's just... It's morally incorrect. It's a bad financial decision. And the people that are fighting, like, who disagree with this are only disagreeing with it because they literally, specifically don't want it. And they don't want Mm -hmm. it because they don't like women. That's my thing. That's my take.
2: I mean, that sums it up pretty well. And I, like... I remember I, I wrote an article that's only, like, sort of related to this. It was on, like the the in the world cup how like the cameras would go in and like they would these like weird dudes who would like focus in on a hot woman yeah like, all the time and that was the only thing they do and part of my point was in that article was there's only one way which men want to accept women within this hyper masculine yeah. space that we built for ourselves and it's that you have to be there for our pleasure otherwise you just do not have a space at all and there's multiple examples how, of how We'll aggressively push out women if they don't fit that like one boxed out like place we've set for them. And this is a this is like the basic biggest example of this because this is not just women wanting wh- wanting to be equal fans of the game, wanting to write, they want to be players as well. So this is the biggest threat to guys who just feel yeah. this sport is for us and us only. Yeah. And if you are having just a guttural angry reaction against women coming into the game like that just just think about it just think about why you're having such an angry reaction and think about how you view women's place in the game and i think that will tell you a lot about how you view women how you respect them and whether you truly are sexist or not because a lot of that is just a gut reaction from a lot of dudes who are just used to this being a men-only space and that is going to change whether you like it or not and I think there's space here totally. as things are changing for men to introspect, be honest with themselves and change.
0: Yeah, and no one is saying and, – and if you're having this reaction, you think about it and, and and do a little bit of a self-critique and you actually can make like changes in the way you, you think about things and look at things. This is what we're – this is basically what it comes down to. Like I, I – I think everyone at some point in their life Has held views that they now don't Hold right you don't unless you're Donald Trump you don't just Have (laughs) views and then when people Present you with good arguments just Reject them out of hand right like You you change and you develop And you become a better person and that is something that I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that that we can see with with this with with soccer. So, um, all right. And last thing, this is the end of the show. Um, I just want to shout out because we haven't done this yet. But shout out to the guy who DM'd Neymar. And used the, his DM with Neymar to store links to porn that he wanted to watch later. <laughs> uh, that is a unbelievably funny move. Um, it is very funny. Neymar responded to it, which is the funniest part. It is part. even funnier. Uh, so he basically said, yeah, man, I, I don't think you're going to see this. So I'm going to use this DM to store porn links that I want to watch. And then later Neymar just responds with ha 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 ha. Because it's funny as hell. Oh my
2: All god! All the fucking ways to store porn. Well, that's man. amazing. Jesus what are you Christ. doing?
0: Like, what are the things that went into your head to make you decide that this is what you want to do? It's fucking insane. I, I don't get it. I like to think
4: that this is the. I like to think this is a cutting edge of like a new meme, right? So, like, we'll start using celebrity DMs for like our to-do list. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's just like, yeah, I just have to pay, pay cable bill, pay power, go to the grocery store. It's just like in fucking Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, fucking Twitter uh, So shout out to that dude.
0: Um, you know, you're, you're kind of a king. And you know what? Shout out to Neymar for, for, for popping in and laughing at him because he deserved to be laughed at. All right, everybody, that's your Let's Fix Football for this week. Thank you, Om, for coming back on to talk stats and shit with us. Evan, um, we'll talk to you next week.
4: Yeah,
3: man, catch you later. Bye. Change? Shit. I guess change is good for any of us. Whatever it takes for any of y'all niggas to get up out the hood. Shit, I'm with you. I ain't mad at you. Got nothing but love for you. Do you think, boy. Yeah. All the homies that I ain't talked to in I'm a I'ma send this one out for y'all. Know what I mean? Cause I ain't mad at you. Heard y'all tearing up shit out there Kicking up dust Giving a motherfuck <laughs> Yeah, niggas Cause I ain't bad at you. Now we was once two niggas of the same kind Quick to holler at a hoochie with the same line You was just a little smaller but you still roll Got stressed to YA and hit the hood swollen, but when you had it, terry curl, didn't quite learn on the block with your Glock, tripping off shrooms. Collect calls to the tilt, saying how you changed. Oh, you a Muslim now, no more dope games. Heard you might be coming home, just got bail. Wanna go to the mosque, don't wanna chase tail. It seems I lost my little homie, he's a changed man. Hit the pen and now no sinning is the game plan. When I talk about money, all you see is the struggle. When I tell you I'm living large, you tell me it's trouble. Congratulations on the wedding I hope you're right, no She got a player for life And that's no bullshitting I know we grew apart, you probably don't remember I used to think for your sister But never went up in And I to see us after school We bomb on the first motherfucker with the bomb shit on Now the whole shit's changed And we don't even kick it Got a big money scheme And you ain't even with it <laughs> New in my heart At you You're trying hard to maintain, then go here. Cause I ain't mad at you, oh, <laughs> I ain't mad, at you. I ain't mad at you. I ain't mad at you. I ain't mad at you I ain't mad at you. I ain't mad at you. We used to be like distant cousins, fighting, playing dozens, Whole neighborhood buzz it. Knowing that we buzz Used to catch us on the roof or behind the stairs i all the time, we said, aside, pumping and grinding, wasn't nothing on our mind. In time, we learned to live a life of We grind us back to a time, was much too young enough. I caught a felony loving the way the guns blow. And even though we separated, you said that you wait. Don't get nobody no coochie while I be locked up state. I kiss my mama goodbye, wipe the tears from my lonely eyes. Said I'll return, but I gotta fight to fix the ride. Don't shed a tear, cause mama ain't more smiles, cup of gas they got me going mad, I'm knocking busters on their backs in my cell, picking hell, I know one day I'll be back, as soon as I touch down, I told my girl i will be there, so prepare to get fucked down, the homies wanna kick it, but I'm just laughing at you, cause you's a damn ass bitch, and I ain't mad at you, now. With from nothing to lots, 10 cabins to rock. with from a nobody nigga to the big man on the block He's Mr. Local Celebrity, addicted to moving key Most hated by enemies, escaping the luxury See first you was our nigga but you made it, so the choice is made Now we gotta slay you while you faded In a younger days, so full of pain when the weapons blade Getting so high off that bomb, hoping we make it to the better day Cause crime day Anytime, you'll find a rhyme or blaze You'll feel the fire from the niggas in my younger days So many changed on me, so many try to plot That I keep a clock beside my head, when will it stop? Shall God return me to my essence? Cause even as an adolescent, I refuse to be a convalescent So many questions and they ask me if I'm still down I moved up out of the ghetto, so I ain't real now? They got so much to say, but I'm just laughing at you You niggas just don't know, uh... but I ain't mad at you